Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. You what? need to wash your hands after you use the restroom. Yes. With Steve Cofield. I like messing with him, but he's got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> Adam Candy. This is gotcha journalism. You know what? They're not going to gotch me. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Wednesday before the draft right here in Las Vegas. Adam Candy is alongside as the company. We're at the Battle Baron Broadcast Center. Justin Watkins, our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, will join us. Uh, in just a couple minutes on the big event. And, of course, uh, the rough ending to the season here for the Vegas Golden Knights. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Well, talk about going out with a whimper here. Uh, playoff chances candy for VGK down to, what, 1% or 2%? Uh, down to don't even bother, quite honestly. Uh, the, the Dallas Stars are not losing twice in regulation on home ice to the likes of Arizona and Anaheim. And even if they did, what guarantees the Vegas Golden Knights are going to win in Chicago tonight or in St. Louis, which they need to win both of? Uh, it's a no-hope situation. And yesterday was about as frustrating and kind of emblematic of the rest of the season, right? What else can you say about yesterday's game? Uh, the nail was pretty much in the coffin after the San Jose debacle, but yet the Golden Knights still had the team in front of them on the ice there with them ahead of them by a goal with 20 minutes to go. Hold a lead, hold a lead. Keep yourself realistically in the playoff hunt. They couldn't do that. They had chances in overtime. They went seven rounds in the shootout without a goal. And if you're out there crying about the shootout today, Take your tears, put them in a cup, and drink that salt because you need to wash your mouth out. The shootout isn't the problem. The team that let itself get in this situation is the problem. Amazing. Well, you can uh, drown your, your uh, sorrows with the NFL draft. Uh, I assume most Vegas Golden Knights fans in town have an NFL team, so Hope Springs, right? Hope Springs here coming up tomorrow with uh, the first round, second and third on Friday, rest of the draft on Saturday. Tomorrow we'll be out at Silver 7s. You come on down right down the road from the draft location and check out the draft at Silver 7s at Flamingo and Paradise. And we've got a bunch of rumors now, some steam on the uh, NFL draft betting. Now, remember, Candy, I think uh, you know this, but for the audience, they're going to pull down most of these draft props about, uh, what, uh, an hour or so, two hours? Five o'clock. Everything okay. in Nevada will go down at 5 o'clock because we are an archaic sports betting state. <laughs> Explain that. The rules in Nevada make it so that the draft markets come down 24 hours before the draft. And the concept behind that, essentially, is that these are markets that are not based on the outcome of a game. They're based on something where someone could have a lot of inside information and potentially hurt the books. Now... The limits on most of these bets have been set in such a way that no book is truly getting hurt if they take what they would deem a larger wager on something related to the draft. Uh, one right. book in town put up yesterday that they were putting up $1,000 limits, which our friend Brad Powers responded to and said, that's great. Like, that's a real limit on this. But if most of the draft markets are up there at, let's say, four to one, five to one, et cetera, 
how badly is a book going to get hurt if they took a bet two hours before the draft on something that moved on some late steam? It's just not the way the rest of the country is moving with this stuff. So I saw one of our hosts put up that uh, most of the NFL draft rumors right before the draft are nonsense. Is that true if the book is reflecting some of the changes? Like, how bad do you think the information is out there to the point where now Trayvon Walker in a week has gone from the second choice to the uh, first choice as a number one pick and is like minus 220 to minus 250. We've seen intense betting to push Kayvon Thibodeau uh, into the two-hole as one of the favorites. And now we're seeing Derek Stingley move way up the charts, potentially to get inside the top five. So do we look at draft rumors as smoke screens by teams or – do we actually respect where the books, well, the action is going at the books and and turn these into real stories? Is Thibodeau going too? Is Aiden Hutchinson slipping? Is Stingley going to go number three? Are we trusting the rumors? No. In no way are we trusting the rumors. Half the people putting rumors out there on social media have never been in an NFL press box. But when it comes to the betting markets, that's a different story because we know that the type of action that is going to move a draft betting market is action that is coming from people who have connections, people who know things, people who have real information or access to other people who have real information. So if you're going to look at the betting markets, you're seeing a truer reflection than you are in the rumors that are being put out there day to day by people. The betting markets do happen to know some of these things. They yeah. now. Do they know all of them? Evan Neal, three months ago, was a lock, air quotes, to go number one, right? And then Aiden Hutchinson was a lock yep. to go number one. And now, neither of them are thought to be in that spot. So, yes, some of it is real, but some of it is also the crowd seeing where the shiny object is and trying to chase the shiny object before it gets away. Yeah, number one pick, uh, Trayvon Walker, minus 250, Hutchinson, plus 225, EK. Iguanu is plus 400. I saw Evan Neal mocked all the way down at 11 by one person. Hutchinson, yes, no on the number one pick. The no is now minus 400. The yes is plus 320. Uh, Trayvon Walker over under the one and a half pick. The under is minus 250. The over is plus 210, just as reflecting the uh, the odds on the number one pick. And as I mentioned, uh, Stingley Jr. is now the favorite at number three, plus 225. Sauce Gardner is plus 400. Iguanu is plus 450. And then, of course, there's the intrigue of, as I mentioned, Gardner. And if a wide receiver somehow breaks into the top seven. I think the other really interesting one is one you mentioned a minute ago with Thibodeau. Because the Thibodeau smoke has been out there for a week on this team really doesn't want him. They don't think he's really into football. He doesn't have the personality to do this. Is his motor really on all the time? So you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as, oh, no, NFL teams have real concerns about Kayvon Thibodeau. Is he going to become one of those guys who slides like Brady Quinn down the draft board? You're going to see him sitting in the green room looking like someone stole his lunch. Or is it that people really like Kayvon Thibodeau and now they're trying to put the smoke out there to get other teams to get out of their way so that they can pick him up. Ooh, I bet Aiden Hutchinson a day and a half ago at 18 to one at the four slot at the four slot at 18 to one. He's now six. The New York Jets, huh? You think he's going home? You think he's coming to you? 
Well, honestly, what happened was I bet him at a bad number at number two, and then I bet him at three. Then I started freaking out, and I'm like, well, let me get some kind of backup payoff in case he slips to the Jets at 18 to one. So I'm not going to win any money. I just wanted the hell out of the bet. Yeah. I mean, like you're one of the horse guys just betting the board right now. I appreciate right. that about you. Wanted- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put, put it on old glue factory. Well, I started making bets, and then JVT was like, what are you doing? That's a terrible number. And I was just like, bet, 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 bet. How do I get out of this? Damn. So, in a way, I'm happy they're pulling all of these odds down in about an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, save me from myself. You're like the NFL owners with the salary cap. Save me before I bet again. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Justin Watkins up here in just a second. We've got a lot of uh, VGK and the season that has just passed to wrap up. Yeah, it's pretty much over. About a less than 5% chance they can make the playoffs. Adam Candy's here. Battlemore Broadcast Studios. Justin is here as well. So, first of all, We'll get to the matchup tonight, but let's talk about some of the whining the last couple of days by fans who were like, this is bullcrap. Shootouts are deciding who makes the playoffs. No, come on. Stop it. Like, we can't argue that this, our our playoff hopes have been decided by shootouts. We've had the least amount of shootouts out of most anybody in the league. This season was decided when we went 0-7 on the road, uh, 0-5 road trip, came home, won a game go 0 and 2 on the road trip when we had very winnable games against Philadelphia and Buffalo. We lose to New Jersey, um, you know, we lose to the Sharks and when we're up by 2 with 2 minutes left, it has it's not the shootout. It's it's the lack of play and the lack of consistency. I fully expected them to win last night and then lose against Chicago because that would have been so on brand <laughs> for this season to win the tough games and lose the ones you're supposed to win easily. Candy for you as much of the season and this you know, falling way short of expectations, the games they played all year with the salary cap. It doesn't help, does it? Uh, you went into last night's game once again having to play shorthanded with the Keegan Colasar injury. Dylan Coughlin gets called up, and even though Dylan Coughlin has taken fourth-line shifts as a defenseman for the VGK this year, uh, Dylan Coughlin, through the first two periods, didn't touch the ice. And the Golden Knights ended up playing essentially short one man the entire game, short Max Pacioretty for part of the third period after he got hurt. And overall, those are the sorts of things that wear down on you as a team after a while in the game. And you start to see it later on. You start to see it in the legs when you've had to double shift guys throughout the game. So it doesn't necessarily jump out at you when you're still seeing all the names that you know from the team now that they're healthy on the ice. But it's another situation where the Golden Knights didn't have any flexibility because of everybody that they've now brought back, and they don't have a lot of space on that long-term injured reserve to play around anymore. Well, and I guess it doesn't matter whether or not, Adam, you and I think that. I mean, Bill Foley thinks that. He said it as that was a contributing factor to the loss to Montreal last year. He said the guys were tired. They were short, you know, uh, running 20-man rosters out there, playing 11-7, and seven. Uh, to stay under the cap, and be, his reason was is because they wanted to keep the two. He wanted to keep Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard and the twelve million, um, and so that was used as his base to agree to the trade of Mark Andre Fleury, which I agree with. I'm not a, I'm not here to say trading Mark Andre Fleury wasn't the right move, but 
he he used that as the reason why he consented to the trade of Mark Andre Fleury is because they needed more depth. People were tired. They couldn't run up against the cap like that again. Then they make the offseason moves. Then they make the Eichel trade, and they put themselves not only back in that situation, but worse uh, in that situation than they were even the season before. What else can you say if, if you point out that it comes from Bill Foley's mouth, if it comes straight from the top, and this team had more than $90 million on its real cap, then you get into a situation not only like last night, but again, we talk about the fact, uh, that Justin, this goes back to last year when you're playing the game uh, against Colorado and you're essentially down to, what, 15 skaters, 16 skaters that they had in, you know, in that key game against Colorado last year. So it's obviously something that uh, the bill eventually came due on the Golden Knights here uh, in this game and, and other points in the season. So from an expectation standpoint, do we all, know, all need to step back and look at the five years in totality, or is it fine to look at it with just this year? Because, you know, there are some fans out there who are like, hey, you know, expansion club, you made the playoffs four to five years, you know, the Kraken, they can only hope for that. Um, aren't we dealing with it now? Like that's they, they, they accomplished all that. Great job. They're the ones who wanted to load up on big-name players. Unfortunately, off-injured big-name players. They chose Leonard over Flurry. I don't know that I want to grade this whole thing on a five-year curve. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I can understand the argument of not grading it on a five-year curve for this reason. The ownership decided that they were going to change <laughs> sort of the rules for engaging the community in regards to pricing and structure moving forward after year one. Yep. They were like, wait a minute, we got a winner and we have a popular winner. So all of a sudden, every, it became the most expensive ticket in, in the NHL. Yeah. And once you did that, to me, and this is a season ticket holder, you reset it, man. If I pay the highest prices for an NHL season ticket in the entire NHL, you got to give me a winner every year. You deserve it. You deserve yes. it. Those are the expectations that ownership has set not only for the team on the ice, but for you, right, Justin? Like, yeah, why, I mean, why else would you pay the price you pay? That's right. I mean, if if you were going to tell me, hey, this is a five year project, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have some down seasons, and we're gonna not raise the ticket price every single year, every single year, okay. When you tell me you're going to raise the prices every single year, then I expect you to do everything you can to win. And I will say this. I do believe they're going to do every single thing they can to win. That doesn't mean I agree with the decisions that they made along the way, but I don't doubt that they're trying. I, I believe that they are absolutely yeah. doing everything they can to win. Well, we're about 10 minutes away We'll uh, from looking ahead and see what they need to do, what's going to happen with management, what's going to happen with the coaching. Let's hit some legal topics. So, guys, I came on yesterday. It was actually 4 o'clock, but I, you know, I sent out a message to everyone in town from the NFL. Please, okay? I know you were nervous about coming here. We're nervous about you being here, NFL, because based on the track record, the first couple of years here, uh, the relationship ain't been great for some of our locals. We had someone die at the hands of Henry Ruggs. Uh, we also saw a weird event around the Pro Bowl where Alvin Kamara and his buddies allegedly beat down a dude. It's on video. The latest on this now is that incident at the Cromwell. I guess the Kamara side needs more time. They're saying they just got more video. So now this thing is pushed off to, what, August 1st? So what do you make of this? I make that it's not good for Kamara. Um, I make from the comments from his counsel um, that, you know, they have taken sort of a, 
a back seat from an aggressive defense mm -hmm. to a more, I will say, conciliatory defense where they're saying the allegations against Mr. Kamara are not in line with the person that we know. They're not saying that they're not true anymore. They're saying that that's out of character, which is a very different thing. So that sounds to me like negotiating a plea and, and, and laying at the altar of the judge to say, don't hurt him. Look at all the good things he's doing. So don't make this a, you know, a stiff punishment. Uh, we're going to get all of our ducks in a row to show you what a, a great human being he is other than this incident. That's me reading between the lines, but that's, that's what I saw from the quotes. Justin Watkins with us, our legal insider. All right, so they may be regrouping to come up with something here. Trevor Bauer, the Dodgers pitcher, ain't regrouping. He's not backpedaling at all. Uh, he has now filed suit against the accuser and her attorney. What do you think of this? He says she wanted to destroy Mr. Bauer's reputation and baseball career, garner attention for herself, and extract millions of dollars from Mr. Bauer where does this go from here? And what the hell does baseball do? I think that Bauer's legal team is wise in the timing of this. I mean, the whole world is watching Johnny Depp, who I think public opinion largely agrees that he was falsely accused by his ex-wife of domestic violence. And I think that there is in real time, as this trial is going on, there were already the kernels, the seeds of a shift in public perception in regards to Me Too, and we always believe women, and you know you have to believe the accuser to, wait a minute, it's not always so easy to, to make that call. We got to hear these things out. And the testimony from Depp's expert yesterday was in fact that in most situations, in which there are um, allegations of domestic violence by the uh, by by the actor by the bad actor against the person they were actually beating against the victim they make the accusation that the victim is actually the abuser is more prevalent in women than it is in men so the false accusation of the uh, abuser being the abused comes more often from women than to men, oh. which is exactly what they're alleging in the depth situation. And I think Bauer's legal team is like, this is the perfect opportunity for us to file a lawsuit in a similar vein, making similar arguments um, to get not only her, she probably doesn't have any money to, to make good on this, but her attorney on the claim that this was frivolous and in a frivolous lawsuit, an attorney can be responsible if they didn't do a proper investigation. Okay. So there's that added fact. I mean, I think baseball needs to let them play. I, I I'm surprised they're not letting them play now. Uh, and if they don't, are they then facing like, do they have any kind of protection against Bauer in a lawsuit? Well, of course they have some protection, but at some point they've got to come up with some basis for keeping them out. The investigation itself is ongoing, is gonna run out of time. You don't have an endless runway there. So they gotta make a decision on this and I don't understand how they're not agreeing to play him. We got another fine fella in town in baby, who apparently is playing at Dre's. He's got 
a uh, blotter about uh, 10 or 12 incidents long. Uh, there's one going back a few years with a shooting. Uh, there's a video. So what are you seeing on this video here? Was this self-defense in this murder? Well, the, the police said it's self-defense. Uh, I don't. You cannot cherry pick a few seconds on a and make a determination of self-defense. Self-defense can be absolutely negated from the outset if you're the original aggressor or can continue. You have your right to self-defense and your ability to defend yourself and what force you're able to do can continue to escalate depending on how the interaction itself escalates. If the original aggressor is not uh, presenting deadly force to you, but you present your defense to whatever force they're presenting and then they escalate, they're still the aggressor and you escalate and escalate and escalate and ends up in a deadly situation. There's a lot of facts that you need to know there and cherry picking, you know, 15 seconds from a video that just shows the baby tackling this person. I, it, no way could I make a judgment on whether or not that that is self-defense or not. I have no audio. I've got only a partial of a video and I don't, I can't even see what's being, you know, what the gestures in the body movements are before the tackle. Justin Watkins, our legal analyst, is with us. 570-9000 is the number. Battleborn injury lawyers. In about 15 minutes, we're going to continue previewing the NFL draft as uh, one of the top teams in the draft in terms of their selection. Not uh, not one of the top teams in the NFL. That's why they're at the top of the draft. But Lomas Brown is going to join us, the former Lion, Cardinal, Cleveland Brown, New York Giant, and Tampa Bay Buccaneer. He'll be up, and uh, we'll also put not a wrap because the season's not over with the Knights, but start looking ahead and what's going to happen this offseason. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. So what are you doing for the draft? You going to go see Weezer? You see an ice cube? You going to Gronk's beach party? I'm doing none of those. Come on. What? Why? Do you have what? the Battleborn uh, box truck driving around down there? <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> a, 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 uh, Oh, you're releasing our secrets. We're going to have the caravan of trucks going down there. Yeah, of course. I didn't know that. For, yeah, okay, for sure. Well, I, I, yeah. I was behind one last week, and then uh, <laughs> my girlfriend actually uh, sent me a picture, and she was like, yeah, look. I'm like, yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, well, I, you know what? We got moving trucks. We got a call yesterday from somebody who asked if we were hiring drivers. They're not our trucks. We just advertise on trucks that are making deliveries around town. So I have no say on who their drivers are. Uh, oh, no, no, yeah, your driver's out of control. Yeah, exactly. So we're just an advertiser on trucks. But yeah, yeah. Well, there'll, there'll be some box trucks down there. I'm sure. So, Candy, in uh, in further wrapping about the nights with Justin. You know, one of the other things that got real ugly here down the last couple of weeks is Robin Leonard and the way he handled social media, the way he handled uh, handled uh, general media. Uh, then Pete DeBoer making snide comments. We think about Leonard. This turned into a total mess, and I, I actually think now now it's come to a point where one of them had they they can't coexist, can they? They're going to be able to smooth this over in the off season, and they're both back next year. Man, that DeBoer sword seems to go into many goalies' backs these days. It's hard to hard to know where it's going to end up next. It's honestly though the Robin Leonard arc this year, going all the way back to the preseason when he was getting into it uh, with Elaine Vigneault from Flyers. Like it's been a long, long, ugly arc for Robin Leonard this year. It started out with the social media and him getting into battles with folks there. Uh, 
he comes in early in the season he was rough uh, there's no other way around it uh, his his goals against average his goals saved above average were both terrible um he's been dinged up then started to play a little bit better then got hurt and tried to play through it and then what do we end up with after he tries to play through it cofield we end up with essentially robin leonard in his camp putting out news that robin leonard is going to have season-ending shoulder surgery and the golden knights in essence saying the hell you are and then making him sit on the bench for two more days before he actually was announced by the team to be having this surgery. Oh, by the way, in the middle of all this, he ended up nuking his Twitter and just getting away from the social commentary altogether. And and to me, and I'll, I'm curious what you guys think about it, it's not even so much just about Robin Leonard. It's about it presents such a contrast to how Marc-Andre Fleury handled everything in Las Vegas for the four years that he was here because it was seemingly if not 180 degrees, about 179. Uh, I got to push back on that last point only because of the last year that it was there. Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, nukes the team right in the middle, right at the beginning of the playoffs. And if we believe the reports that are right is when they were attempting to trade him, his agent is trying to sabotage trades on the back end. So we get nothing when we trade him. But then when Chicago trades him to Minnesota, they get a first rounder. And that's just vindictive on that part so i don't believe that mark andre Fleury doesn't you know is my, my wife totally disagrees here by the way she loves mark andre Fleury. thinks that she oh she stopped becoming a knight's fit not exactly but when they traded mark andre Fleury, it was a big hit for her same with reeves too the two favorite players but Still i don't trouble think, on the home front you guys no okay? we're good it's pretty intense but, stuff but the other thing that i want to add to on the leonard front is don't forget his off season started with his social media talking about how he's underpaid that if markstrom's making 6.6 that five isn't enough right so he put this target on his back for his play and then when he goes onto these social he he goes after the flyers he goes after buffalo for the eichel stuff Right. And I might agree with some of this stuff and I might not, but right. He put himself at the center of some controversies. And then when the con when he was at the center of the controversy, when his play and his contract and his place on the team was, then he sort of deletes and runs away. That being said, I think that I think it's fine if he stays on the team. I, I don't dislike DeBoer, but when the power play numbers, when the special teams have been how, how they've been for as long as they've been since he's been a coach, they've only gotten worse, never gotten better. The PK numbers have gotten worse. They used to be elite. And now they're middling. The, they have one of the worst power plays over the last three years in the entire league. And the, the only thing that hasn't changed in that regard is Pete DeBoer, they're running Pete DeBoer's system. It's that high to low. And we need a new coach for that. Like we, You're not going to win a Stanley Cup if you don't have special teams. So regardless of the pe the goalie situation, which is icing on the cake, I agree with everything you said there, Adam. Um, you know he he can't he can't continue to be the coach here. Yeah, and, and Justin, I think you're I think you have plenty of standing to talk about the last year with Mark Andre Fleury. I think the one difference that I would point out is something you just mentioned about Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard put himself into all mm -hmm. of these situations that he didn't have to. He chose to get himself into these things. Whereas the Golden Knights made the trade for Robin Leonard. And Mark Andre Fleury finds himself, you know, in a spot there in really the only down stretch he had in terms of his play uh, for the Golden Knights, which happened to coincide with the time around when his father had passed away as well. So 
Uh, totally. You're right. There, there, there are definitely things to be said about the way Mark andre Fleury exited. Uh, I just feel like on the whole, uh, we're not going to have Steve Cofield sitting here saying that we should have a Robin Leonard statue outside T-Mobile Arena. Yep. No, I agree with everything you just said. Oh, believe me, we will revisit all the Robin Leonard social media stuff that we argued about before and early in the season. And how many times I said, cut it out, dude. Out, And it all came back to be real ugly. And like you just said, then he just cuts and runs. Um, let's close on this. 5709000 is the number here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. I think this is really important to point out some good police work, and I hope this works out. Um, headline the other day, man faces sexual assault charge tied to 96 attack outside a casino. 1996 out side of the wild wild west a uh, woman claimed that she was raped uh, at the time that place was called the king's eight got pulled into a truck you know right in that lot that's still there they still had dna on file right yes they from did. 20 what six years ago yeah that's amazing and what's the statute of limitations on this well so there's when you're talking about sexual assault and rape the nevada has a funny statute that they've always had which is if a police report is taken and the the uh, suspect is identified, there is no statute of limitations. Wow. So that's what happened here. She did go to the police right away. She identified the uh, accuser, uh, or I'm sorry, the accused, and the police spoke to him. He kind of gave two differing versions of the story. They collected DNA. She gave her skirt from that night, which had DNA. And for whatever reason, they chose not to charge. Okay, maybe. So was it, did I jump jump forward saying this is good police work? I mean. Well, today it is for yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, you're combing through. I, I imagine what's going on is they're combing through cases in which they have DNA now. That's awesome. That, that they can analyze good. to determine. Well, they got to look at the file. Is this a case that statute of limitations is still alive? Yes. Okay. Let's look. Do we have DNA? Yes, we do. Have we analyzed that DNA? I, I, I'm making a, a guess as to how right. they ended up here. Right. Um, have we looked at that DNA? No, we haven't analyzed the DNA. We didn't have the, the ability to do it back then. Cool. Let's do it. Okay. Does it match? It does. All right. Well, let's charge. That's, Lauren, that's good. Lawrence Shaw arrested in March in Texas. Yeah. So not, not necessarily police work, but district attorney work for sure. Yeah. That's good. This, the system works. In this case, 5709000 is the number of Battleborn Injury Alerts. Justin, appreciate it. All right, thanks. Uh, up next, Lions preview. We're going to try to hunt down uh, Bart Scott from ESPN National, and we'll get into the Jaguars as we uh, count down to the top picks in the NFL draft. First pick tomorrow, 5 o'clock. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. With the... Uh third choice in the 2002 draft the Detroit Lions select Joey Harrington quarterback from Oregon it's time for Cofield and Company's path to the draft draft All right, rolling on as we get towards the top of the draft, a uh, path to the draft. Yep, every team has had uh, some bad picks over the years at the in that first round, and the Lions are hoping to nail it here, but uh, not easy if they're trying to uh, decipher the difference between these great defensive ends at the top of the draft. Lomas Brown played on the other side of the ball, works with the Lions, gives Steven Adam here in Vegas a couple of minutes. How are you, sir? 
I'm doing great, guys. How y'all doing? We're good. We're fired up, man. We're excited to have the NFL draft in Vegas, and uh, I hope the NFL is excited to be here. It seems like they are. Yeah, hey, look, we we made our announcement earlier this week or last week that the 2024 draft would be in Detroit. It was a lot of excitement just for us announcing the draft in two years. So I can imagine Vegas is jumping right now. Yeah, it's hopping, and we've got uh, multiple build-outs, so there's going to be a ton of folks in and around the Strip. So let, let's talk about what's going on here down the stretch, Lomas, with the Lions. It seemed like they were uh, potentially locked in on uh, a defensive end. Now, which defensive end is going to be there? Because it didn't look like Aiden Hutchinson was going to be there for Lions, but maybe he's going to be there now, Lomas. Yeah, I mean, and look, I'm rooting for that. That's what I want. I would love to see him drop the number two and stay here in the state of Michigan, a 45-minute commute from Ann Arbor right over to Detroit. So I think that would be great for the fan base. I think it would be great for the organization. And he's a much, much needed piece uh, to this team that they need. We definitely need an elite pass rusher, a guy that can command two guys having to block him or at least make the offensive coordinators have to think about him more than they normally would. So, to me, he brings a lot of things to the table. I kind of, I just hope he falls. Jacksonville doesn't take him. So you like him a lot. Do you like him more than Kayvon Thibodeau? Because the rumor all week has been that the Lions are locked in on Thibodeau. Well, I, I like Aiden from the standpoint of he has a motor. Look, at, at, when you get in the NFL, you're going to struggle. I don't care who you are. Very few guys come in their first year and have a lot of success. Um, and so you're going to struggle. So the intangibles that you have that don't have to be coached, like hustle, uh, every play, you know, the determination that Aiden Hutchinson has, you can't coach that. That's natural. That's God-given ability. That's determination. So to me, when you got a guy that can use that, that has that in his tool bag while he's learning how to play in the NFL, I think that's a great tool to have in your bag, and that's just something I'm not hearing about Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, we've heard that a lot about Thibodeau, the, the motor thing. Going back to your playing days, do you remember a, a line mate or maybe an opponent, a defensive lineman, even on the team, that didn't have a motor, and as time went along, you know, in year two and three, they got the motor going? Is that something you can teach? Oh, no. I, I, I You know – that's a great question. I, I think you can, but a guy, it, it, that's, it's hard. It's really hard because think about it. You're breaking years and years and years of habits that he has developed, and it's hard to just break that, especially when you're talking about guys in the NFL. <clears throat> to me, by then, it's kind of too late to break that habit. So it's going to be hard for them to do that. It would take a lot, and maybe money – it may be, hey, maybe money can get that out of a person, but it'll be hard, I think. Did you know, like, as a veteran, uh, you know, as you were developing into a great offensive lineman, could you tell with young uh, defensive linemen, young defensive ends, that you could kind of break them early on and maybe they weren't going to work to overcome that first or second hurdle after you'd beaten them up a little bit? Oh, absolutely. You have guys, because the NFL, man, okay. That's a grown man's league. It really is. I don't care what league, and I played in the SEC, and I think that's the closest thing to 
uh, you know, players that you're going to see on the next level. And there still was no comparison when I got in the league. I mean, the speed of the game, you know, the scheme of the game, you know, just the athleticism of the game. You know, it's a hard, hard game um, to master. And when you have guys that can come in and, and do that, or it's going to take guys a while to come in and do that, you just hope those guys have the stand power, the mental stamina to, to withstand some of the stuff that they're going to go through. Because it's an up-and-down league. You're going to have your pitfalls as you go along. You just got to make sure you have enough of the up more so of the ups than you have of the downs. Former NFL lineman Lomas Brown joining us here on Cofield Company with Candy and Cofield. Uh, to what you just talked about, Lomas, with that effort and the fact that it's a grown man's league, I feel like effort is the thing that was notable about every Detroit Lions game last year. I know here in Las Vegas, they love the Lions because they covered the spread in a lot of games because Dan Campbell had them playing so competitively. Was that the biggest change that you saw in Dan Campbell's first year? Yes, sir. That's my guy, too, man. You know, me and Dan played together for two years when we were with the Giants in 2000, 2001. So, man, I love the guy. He was a young fella when I had him as a 15-year vet. But you can just kind of see something in him, see the determination in him, you know, to get things done. And he, you're right, the, the team has just gravitated towards that, and they've taken that on. They really have. It's no game that would say – maybe two games, i say, out the year that the Lions were completely out of the game. But other than that, they were in every game. They were fighting to the end, and that's what you had to do. You had to fight the Lions to the end if you expected to win that game. So that's a great trait that Dan has definitely passed on to his team. And you could tell that's a trait that they're looking for in guys that they draft and guys that they sign and guys that they bring into the organization. They want those guys that are hungry, those guys that are going to do whatever it takes to get the job done, just like their coach did when he was playing back in the league. So he has a great staff with a lot of ex-players on that staff. So I just think the Lions are on their way if they can make the right picks. they got to get these picks right and be able to capitalize on them. So how do they do that, Lomas? How do they get these picks right? Where would you like to see them continue to build this team and build this foundation? Well, to be completely honest with you, if – Aiden Hutchinson does go first to Jacksonville, then I would love to see us take Malik Willis. I, I really would. Ooh. I mean, again, you got Jared Goff. You got Jared for, I think, two more years on the contract. You know, you bring him in. You let him learn on the Jared. You know, because you have to learn, again, how to play in this league. So you, it's little things that Jared could teach that fellow uh, and stuff, and you just never know. That might be enough to push Jared you know, where it might be able to push him back to where he was when he led the Rams to the Super Bowl or helped lead the Rams to the Super Bowl. So to me, a lot of people, they, they look at me, their eyes get big when I say that because they're like, oh, man, a number two pick on the quarterback. But everything I'm hearing about this young man, look, if it's a guy that you want, why would you move around and take chances? When you got the number two pick, pick him. I mean, pick the guy. If that's a guy that you think can lead you for 10, 15, 20 years 
into the future is going to be your franchise quarterback, why would you not take him with the number two pick if he's available if you can't get an Aiden Hutchinson? That's the voice of uh, Lomas Brown, College Football Hall of Famer, was in Vegas. I saw you post the uh, the picture of the, the sign that was in Vegas. That was really cool. You went into the College Football <laughs> Hall of Fame uh, back in December. Big fella. I love that, man. They showed the big fella some love on the show. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. <laughs> hey, before we get you out of here, uh, I want you to tell Las Vegas about your foundation. Yes, uh, it's the Lomas Brown Jr. Foundation. I've had it since the early 90s, and we're towards kids. We go to helping kids. Uh, we do uh, educational camps, and I do uh, sports camps during the summer. So hopefully COVID won't be help, uh, hurt me again like it's hurt me the last two years, and we can get these camps back and help some youth, keep them healthy, and educate some uh, youth back here in the Detroit, metro Detroit area. The information at LomasBrownJuniorFoundation.org. Lomas, thank you so much. Enjoy the draft, and good luck to your Lions. Absolutely. Anytime, fellas. There he is, Lomas Brown Jr. One of your favorites from his Giants run? One of your favorites? Hey, man, Big Blue when it was easy to root for Big Blue. <laughs> Those, the, the Dan Campbell, Lomas Brown days, that's, uh, that's some good stuff, man. Oh, my God, how, how did I just slip into Gruden there? That, was, that wasn't what I meant to do. <laughs> that's, that's disturbing. Can I tell you, you know, and I'm consistent on this. It doesn't mean I'm right, but I'm consistent on this. I think you build the good organizations build with offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and cornerbacks. And unless there's a huge consensus on quarterbacks, you don't take a quarterback in the top five. You don't reach for them. I don't think Malik Willis is the guy or Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter. Just build the right way. Get the edge rusher. If it's not the edge rusher, then get a cornerback. If it's not either one of those guys, then try to trade back and get some value. I don't know that they can trade out of the two-hole, but for me, the Lions don't repeat mistakes of the past. You heard Joey Harrington, you know, as we kind of chuckle at old number one picks. You heard Joey Harrington to start out the conversation with Lomas Brown. Don't make that mistake, Lions. Right, Candy? No, no and, and you don't even have to go as far back as uh, Twinkle Fingers Joey to get something with the Lions like that. Look at Jeffrey Okuda, thought of as the clear guy as the number one pick uh, as a cornerback coming out of Ohio State a couple of years ago. Hadn't been there, right? And so even when you take a guy like a cornerback up high, the bust rate on cornerbacks is way higher than it is on edge defenders.